This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and Caverns deep below the metro area, it is episode 682 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, the Internet's Joe Patrick, and do you ever wonder why we refer to Teth Adam as Black Adam? I'm your head number two, my name is Matt Baum, and I can't help but notice we don't call comic creator Adam Cooper White Adam. Think about it. I mean, minds are like parachutes, food. right? Just food for thought. Food for thought. <laughs> I don't know if that was funny at all, but I'm going for it. Okay, great. This episode, we're back reviewing new comics, and it's been a while. So, better stretch out a little bit so as not to pull a hammy on the air in front of the babes. After that, we'll set you up with some must read picks for next week. There's a ton of babes listening to the show. Did you know that? So many babes. So many babes. And finally, we'll give you a sneak peek of our Patreon Extra, where all the cool kids that keep this show afloat will hear the comic pushers stealing some highly addictive Black Adam comics. It's all happening in this magically powered anti-heroic episode. So let's say the magic word and call down the lightning. Fair enough! It's review time in the cigarette! When we review new comics, we do it two weeks at a damn time. And we use our handy, dandy, and admittedly lacking buy it, skim it, or leave it scale to let you nerds know if these comics demand your attention and hard-earned money. I'm glad we admit it. Yeah. We've, we've never lied about our shortcomings. That's part of its charm. So. Uh, yeah, it is admittedly lacking. Yes. This time, our pile is infested with Miracle Families, a comic for the whole country of Wakanda, planes hauling bad news, and Taboo's exciting return to Marvel Comics. But it all starts with wow. a tale of one very special magic talking cat. Take it away, Joe Patrick. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, of course... It must mean The Chilling Adventures of Salem. It's a one-shot from Archie Comics. The cover price is $3.99. If you're wondering about the title, it is an obvious uh, homage to The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, a much scarier comic book. <laughs> I did not know. I forgot the cat's name was Salem. So I thought, like, Salem, oh, yeah. man, this must be about like the town Sabrina lives in. And like, oh, no. Yeah, it yeah, no, it's about the cat. The cat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the cat is on the cover, front yeah. and center. Uh, this is written by Cullen Bunn with art by Dan Shoning. Now help me out, Matt. I did not have time to look this up. Isn't Dan Shoning also the guy that draws Ghostbusters with all that super cartoony style? Yes, no. Dan Shoning does in fact draw a lot of Ghostbusters stuff. Same dude. I wonder if it's the same dude yeah. because this art is totally different. Gotta but be. we'll get there. Gotta be. Here's your solicit. Salem the cat has always been known as Sabrina's familiar, but what happens when Sabrina's not around to protect him? Or, as is more the case, when he doesn't have to protect her? This special one-shot explores a different side of Salem's life, one in which he acts as an anti-hero enacting vigilante justice on those who hurt others like him. Animals. Confirmed. In a horror. Same damn Choney. Okay, wow. Look at his Twitter. Man. There it is. A renaissance man. In a horror story that's equal parts Pet Cemetery and Hereditary. Now, I have not seen Hereditary. I am not so sure about that comparison, though. As The Chilling Adventures of Salem is a pretty slight horror one-shot, but there's still plenty of fun to be had. It's no secret to anyone with a passing familiarity with Sabrina lore that her cat Salem is actually a man, 
an ancient magician trapped in human form. So when he runs afoul of a sorcerer using stray animals to fulfill some kind of infernal body swapping pact, you can see the ending coming. Uh, there's no vacancy at uh, Hotel Salem. No. The sorcerer has bit off more than he can chew, endures a fitting end, and Salem is confronted with a harsh lesson of his own. It's all mostly predictable stuff, but it's not without charm. Thanks in large part to the art team of Dan Shoning, Ghostbusters Dan Shoning. There you go. I uh, Knock me over with a feather that this is the same artist. I th- looking at his Twitter, I think he's one of those guys where it's like, what style do you want? No problem. And gotcha. Yeah, no, just I mean, do it. This art is very good. He's inked by Ben Galvin here and color artist Matt Herms brings a ton to the table. The book has a grainy film quality to it, giving the story the feel of an old late night B horror movie. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Oh, I see. See, I got faux pas. The Chilling Adventures of Salem isn't really breaking any new ground story wise, but I had fun with the cheesy plot and the excellent art. Well done by the art team. I'm going to give this a buy it. It's it's a fun, lighthearted, not lighthearted, but kind of like it's lighthearted. It's there. I mean, it's you know, it's kind of like it's like goosebumps adjacent. Like it's it's light in terms of like it's certainly not. Pet cemetery. It does the job though. It's doing the job. You you've got the story. It's a great it's a great light read for spooky season. Talking magic cat guy. Uh, you know, uh, interfering in powers he should not. You know, delve into thinking he can control things. Guess what? You can't. You learn a lesson. I can't, like I, I tell you, like <laughs> I really don't understand, and the book doesn't get into it. Like I really don't understand why the demons were like, yeah, that sounds like a good deal to us. They didn't. They were like bound and enslaved in animal bodies. Uh, what's your rating? I'm giving it a buy it. I thought this was fun. I thought this was just yeah, it's, it is. Good, it's fun. Classic EC comics fun. A lesson to be learned. Infernal magics that humans shouldn't mess with. Like this is what happens. There you go, bro. Bad idea. Yeah, just don't do it. How do you like my new litter box? <laughs> Halloween. Let's get out of the vet's office and head to the airport for the approach. Number one from Boom Studios is three ninety nine. It's written by Jeremy Hahn and Jason A. Hurley with art by Jesus Hervas. This is going to continue our horror theme, so don't worry. It's October, right? Oh, thank goodness. Here's your solicit. When airport employees Mac and Abigail find themselves snowed in after a blizzard, they witness a terrible plane crash. After pulling a survivor from the wreckage, they realize a terrifying truth. This plane has been missing for 27 years. The nightmare has only just begun, though, as the people trapped in the airport soon find themselves confronted by what this plane actually brought back. For those with a fear of flying, it's not the sky that deserves dread, but what lies beyond it, or maybe under it. I don't know about beyond it, but regardless. Jeremy Hahn is a horror nerd of the best kind. He's primarily known for his art, but in the past few years, Hahn has started writing, and it turns out his creepy stories are just as good as his creepy pencils. Check out his book, The Beauty Over at Image, about a sexually transmitted disease that makes the victim more attractive and has some other particularly terrifying side effects, too. (laughs) Here, Hahn and co-writer Jason A. Hurley who also co-writes The Beauty, are telling a different kind of story that's not quite as high concept, but it's still great. Nothing is creepier than isolation, and when you add a mysterious menace that characters can't escape, that's where the fun begins. The team takes their time with the story here, letting us get to know Mac and Abigail, who work at the small town, possibly Alpine Airport. So when the horror kicks in, you're thoroughly invested. 
Hervas's art is excellent. He draws Mac as a mountain of a man, which leads me to believe there's more to his character we're going to find out. The settings look very well researched, and the whole creative team does an excellent job putting the reader in this small town airport where the mystery is unfolding. Great title, great art, excellent timing, and a creepy sense of isolation and foreboding in this first issue looks to set this new series up for a good, spooky time. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was really good. I I, I love Jeremy Hahn. Uh, like I didn't I didn't stay caught up with the beauty, unfortunately, to my to my shame. I'm well but, behind too. I got to catch up because it's cool. But that dude puts out good comics even when he's not uh, drawing them. And I thought that this was a great read. And again, really fitting for spooky season. It's yeah. a buy it for me. But hey, sometimes you need to take a break from the spooks. And so we're taking it to Wakanda with Wakanda number one from Marvel Comics. It's $4.99. It's written by Evan Narcisse and Stephanie Williams with art by Paco Medina and Natasha Bustos. Here's your solicit. The Black Panther is no longer welcome in Wakanda. Yikes. Who is this proud nation without its king? This exciting new miniseries answers that question as each issue spotlights a different fan favorite Wakandan character. First up, Shuri proves that being without the Black Panther doesn't mean that Wakanda is without heroes to protect it. And that there is a reason she too once wielded the power. Plus, part one of the history of the Black Panther's backup story, providing for the first time anywhere a definitive overview of every Wakandan who has ever held the mantle of the Black Panther. And let me tell you, they deliver. We'll get there. There's a few. With the next Black Panther movie a month away, Marvel is putting the supporting cast front and center in this series, starting with T'Challa's sister, Shuri. I'm not current on the Black Panther series, but hopefully uh, comic book Shuri is not a transphobic anti-vaxxer. I don't think she uh, is. She seems pretty chill. <laughs> like so. her real life counterpart. Uh, writer Evan Narcisse or, or Narcissa or Narcissa. Sorry, Evan. Brings readers up to speed on the tense political drama happening between T'Challa, his homeland and those left behind to protect the realm in his absence. This also exposes Wakanda to outside threats that normally would not be an issue, like a surprise invasion by an unlikely supervillain. The dialogue between Shuri and her mother, Ramonda, the queen mother, is excellent, and it shows that even Shuri's genius can't account for everything. The real draw for me in this issue comes from the history of the Black Panther's backup story, which is chock full of Wakandan lore, both new and old. I was surprised to find reading the notes how many things they just added in this very issue and it comes along with incredibly detailed annotations both stories feature strong work by Paco Medina and Natasha Bustos and I especially enjoyed Medina's portrayal of the surprise supervillain in the lead story no spoilers because the solicit doesn't give it away I won't either we got another comic book that does that later, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, that happens plenty of times, so you, I'm not going to do it if they don't. This series was not on my radar at all, but I picked it up on a whim and ended up really enjoying it. Wakanda number one gets a buy it. I think I'm with you. I really enjoyed the second story, maybe a little more than the first one. The first one's not bad by any means. It was fun. No, no, no. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I enjoyed the second story more. But the second story definitely did more for me. I think Marvel is doing something really smart with Black Panther right now. They're not going to kill the character. 
obviously, because they want to keep the Black Panther around for later. The character is obviously dead in this upcoming movie. So taking obviously. him out of Wakanda, there's a whole storyline going, you know, where the Black Panther had spies all over. Those spies just got busted. Nobody trusts him. He didn't even tell his own family, stuff like this was going on. So he's basically been kicked out. Wakanda had been like, well, sorry, he's a bad actor. We didn't know. We're getting rid of him. Boom. So he's taken off the board and they can tell stories like this where the Black Panther isn't around. So someone that's getting excited for the movie isn't going to feel out of place. And nerds like you and I can still read an excellent Black Panther comic that is coming out monthly. This was fun. I did like the backup ish. Like I said, I did like the backup more than the main story, maybe. But I want to see no where shame. they're going with this. It just kind of felt sort of anthology right now. It's anthology style. Yeah, yeah for sure. Because like next issue is about um, Umbaku. Right. Who they are certainly uh, distancing from his pa- comic book past as the man. Ape. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm very excited about the Umbaku. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to check it out. I'm giving it a buy. I think it's fun so far. We'll see where they go from here. Hey, Matt, you know who else is in this Black Panther movie? What, Joe? Are you talking about Namor the Submariner, possibly? Duh. He's got a new comic. It's called Namor, Conquered Shores. Number one, it's from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Pascal Ferry. Here is your solicit. A century into the future, not much land remains on Earth. A combination of worsening climate and devastating war with the Kree has left the surface of the planet mostly inhospitable. With an ever-dwindling population of air breathers and a profound lack of superheroes to protect them, enter Namor, who these many years on is no longer king of Atlantis, but ruler of the entire world. Cantwell's story feels a lot like the Marvel The End stories to me that saw the last story of several different characters before they died. It wouldn't shock me if Namor does die in this story, because it's so far in the future that like, whatever, right in the back matter. Cantwell talks about falling in love with the Submariner after reading his origin as told by Kurt Busiek and Alex Ross in the pages of the Marvel's miniseries. Cantwell's Namor is aging. He's no longer a King. He's still dealing with his split connection to humanity and Atlantis though here, he does seem to have softened his stance on humanity. Now that they no longer rule the planet. It's a good take on Namor, who's been portrayed as an angry Atlantean as long as I can remember. Well, that's the thing, though, is that he he varies like he'll he'll be angry Atlantean who is against the surface world. And then he'll be like, no, the surface world is my ally and I will join the Avengers for many years. Yeah, but it always will. When was the last time we uh, saw or, that? Though? It seems like begrudging. That, that was in the that right? was in the that was in the eighties during the uh, yeah. Roger Stern the Tom 80s. Palmer. <laughs> no, I'm like, but it like it's not all that long ago, and uh, in terms of comic books, and I'm also just, like there was that nineties run where it's like, uh, you know what? I'm going to uh, I'm going to start a corporation and run it on the surface world. Yeah, nobody. Atlantis. I don't think anybody counts that. <laughs> I mean, John Burton did that, man. So I yeah, agree. they count it. But I mean, you gotta uh, admit for like the last. 15 20 years i'm saying for yes for a long time he also joined the x-men so um i would say since avengers versus x-men where he got possessed by the phoenix and then destroyed wakanda i think the only reason he ever since then he got possessed by the phoenix though (laughs) like that was the whole thing he wanted to punish the humans 
yeah, almost destroyed Wakanda. Yeah. And ever since then, Namor has been at odds with the surface world. So since Avengers versus X-Men. Regardless, Fairy's art is perfect for the story. His soft lines make Atlantis look like a shining undersea paradise. And he doesn't fall in the usual traps I complain about with underwater settings. Yes, some characters walk on pathways. But for the most part, oh, every God, let it go. Everyone is swimming around like they should. He does a nice job with the design of aging Namor and some other familiar faces that I'm not going to spoil. I will say Namorita's here. She looks great. Conquered Shores looks to be another thought-provoking story from Cantwell that examines a character usually delegated to snarky jerk plot device at best and looks to flesh Namor out in a future setting where Cantwell really doesn't have to worry about any current continuity. I'm giving it a buy it. It was fun. Yeah, I liked this a lot. Um, I, I guess I didn't really know anything about it. I knew that there was a Namor book coming from Cantwell. Um, I, I thought it was going to be present day. I did too. Um, and so, like, I read this, and, I, and when I opened it, I was like, oh, this is different. Uh, and I ended up really enjoying it. Um, you know, full disclosure, any comic book that uh, has a member of the New Warriors in any sort of prominence gets an automatic buy it from me. So uh, I always kind of like Namorita and I feel like she's always a, been given short Namorita is cool. Um, the the sh the shorthand uh, way to describe her is that she's Namor's cousin, which is false. Uh, the actual way to describe her is that she is a clone of Namor's like <laughs> she is. She's like a clone of Namor's mom or something. What? Yeah. Yeah. This. And he just he basically just like helped raise her as his cousin. Oh, wow. Um, I did but not yeah, know like that. she's a clone. It's a whole deal. It's a whole thing. I also love any like give me give me all the Pasquale fairy, man. I like I love that guy. He's and I wish great. that he was around more often. Um, but yeah, this is a buy it. Really great stuff from Canwell. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Fairy, another one of those guys that like just keeps getting better. His style has definitely changed, but it just keeps getting. Yeah. Better. Yeah. And he'll go away. And then all of a sudden. He'll be on a project and you're like, oh, Pascal yeah. Fairy. And you look to like, oh, he's doing a new thing and it's awesome. Stronger than a whale, he can swim anywhere. He can breathe underwater and go flying through the air. The neighbor of Atlantis is the prince of the deep. Let's skyrocket to uh, somehow. This week and also the past with Miracle Man, the Silver Age, number one from Marvel. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Neil Gaiman with art by Mark Buckingham. Here's your solicit. Neil Gaiman and Mark Buckingham's unfinished storyline, The Silver Age, begins. Young Miracle Man, the lost member of the Miracle Man family, is back. His last memories were of a 1963 world of joy and innocence. Now he's been thrust into the 21st century where his best friends have become gods and monsters. Remastered with stunning new artwork by Mark Buckingham, it includes material originally published in Miracle Man number 23 from 1992. The series, the series started in 1985. Um, I'm going to get to that. Uh, plus bonus content, and the bonus content is worth it. This issue took some research to understand. I, I like full yeah. disclosure. <laughs> Full disclosure, perhaps a comic book cardinal sin. I have never read Miracle Man. Never. This issue is basically a do-over by Gaiman and Buckingham. A chance to revisit and revise a storyline that began 30 years ago, but never had a chance to finish. The original Miracle Man number 23, which this book is labeled Legacy number 23, which I thought was a nice touch, came out in 1992. 
almost a full year after the previous issue and over a year before the next and final issue of the series. So in over the course of three, two or three years, uh, the Silver Age got two chapters and then the book got canceled or Eclipse folded or whatever happened. Considering the extreme length of time between chapters of a story cut short midstream, it does make some sense for the creators to start over this time with the opportunity to update things as they go. That said, it is a lot to take in, especially if you aren't familiar with Miracle Man lore like myself. I only really know the stuff I've learned over 30 plus years of hearing about the series, reading about it in magazines and whatnot. But I'm kind of in the same boat as young Miracle Man, who awakes to a world of wonders after 40 years. Gaiman's script is mostly exposition. I kind of have a feeling that he didn't really do much of the updating in this. But Miracle Man fills his young protege in on the truth of his missing history and gives readers a refresher course on the plot of the series as well. The story fittingly embraces a lot of Silver Age ideas, especially with the Miracle Kids that we read about at the beginning. And the back matter gives fascinating insight into the creation of this new version of the story, thanks to exhaustive notes and artwork from Buckingham. Speaking of the art, it is completely breathtaking. Seeing the Buckingham of 2022 basically recreate a world he already made in 1992 is fascinating. And it's really cool to see how he went about the task of breathing new life into an all but forgotten story. Like in the back, there's like, yeah, here's where I took this one page thing and turned it into two pages. It's like, wh- why? Why did you give yourself more work to do? <laughs> but yeah, he like poured his guts into this thing. And I talked about it in my cover of the week post on Instagram. But the cover is like a Dave McKeon yeah. exercise in multimedia madness. It's It's got paint. It's got, you know, pencils and inks and, and traditional comic coloring. It's and also sculpted pieces. Yeah. It's insane. Miracle Man, the Silver Age, number one, is no doubt an odd duck and certainly a complicated issue to recommend. But... Thanks to renewed interest in the series, arguably, and phenomenal work Someone's by Someone's renewed interest in the series. I mean, yeah, look, like Marvel's making an effort, right? Yeah, yeah, they put yeah. out that zero issue. Yeah. I think that those readers willing to make the investment, you know, you just kind of have to, like, give yourself to it. They'll find a lot to like, and I am definitely on board for what's next. I'm giving this a buy it. Like, I read this, and then I read, I'll, I'll tell you what did it for me. Because I read it, and I was like, Gaiman did not update this at all. You can tell that like, this is just the same script yeah, from maybe, maybe punched up from 1992. Uh, just maybe a little bit here and there, but nothing. Perhaps. Nothing perhaps. Um, but when I got to the back and I was like, Buckingham basically made this a completely different comic book. Yes. And that's where I was like, okay, if this is how invested these guys are in finishing the story, I'm there. I'm there. And that's what got me. Okay. So this is tough for me. I cannot recommend this. I just can't. If you want to look at this as an inside baseball, oh my God, I can't believe what this artist in his stage of his career is doing. By all means, this is a masterclass in how the hell did they do that comic book art. It's gorgeous. Mark Buckingham is a genius. The book looks amazing and it literally looks like it came out in 1983 or like he he did a thing that he used to do that he definitely does not do anymore 
His style has changed a lot. <laughs> no, if you no, if you look at Mark Buckingham art from 1992, it's totally different Pardon than me. this. Nine, well, I, I, yeah, absolutely. Like, it's incredible what he did here. With that said, <laughs> I, I just there was so much, and it was so deep in Miracle Man lore that I am also not versed in. I I've read some Miracle Man. I've not read all of Miracle Man, but four pages in and I was just like oh my god this is precious this is so precious <laughs> like I can barely handle it and I it just doesn't fire for me on that level I'm not giving it to leave it I can't do that it, it because they really how have could you? like how could you yeah I, c- I couldn't they've really done something here I just I don't have the lore for Miracle Man I don't have the love for Miracle Man and I think those are barriers of entry i don't think anybody picks this up and goes now i want to know more about miracle man i think you have to have your ticket stub from the old school miracle man to really appreciate this and if you don't this is like this is like miracle man 23 the special edition exactly and if you don't like i i just i wonder how this is gonna sell and i know that's not an that isn't how we measure quality but i honestly wonder how is this going to sell because it's almost impenetrable if you don't have that miracle man lore behind you i'm giving it a skim it not because it's bad but because yeah, it's yeah. like i just can't recommend it and i i get it and you know i i think the story kind of anticipated the needs of the reader it tries to it definitely tries explaining to. Yeah. everything that happened to young miracle man but there's still a lot <laughs> and some of it it's all whoo <laughs> but like all, all this all the stuff with the kids in the utopia that's all like new right to this storyline so like it. nobody else would have known that this either and that's true yeah i just outside of an amazing I, yeah, man, art I exercise i can't recommend it. yeah fair enough joe it stop it, <laughs> Shit. it. we're abusing the magics now come on Let's talk about something a little more down to earth. The Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man number one from Marvel. It's four ninety nine. Points for a really great title. That's a great title. Yeah, okay. It's a great title. Come on. I would argue it would be a great title. You know what? I'll save it till the end of my review. Okay. All right. Fine. This is written by B. Earl and Taboo with art by Juan Ferreira. Here is your solicit. A revolutionary dark take on Spider-Man begins here. What is reality? What is dream? What is science? And what is magic? At the intersection of all of this stands the deadly neighborhood Spider-Man. Peter Parker (laughs) goes to Los Angeles, and what he finds there are definitely not angels. The demons waiting for Peter are going to test him like never before. One demon in particular. A very famous one from Marvel and X fans in particular might just eat Spider-Man alive. Spoilers, it's a f***ing demon bear. And I can spoil that because they put it on no less than four different variant covers. (laughs) Okay, look, hot take, hot take real quick. Um, If part of your elevator pitch is like, what is the nature of dream? And your name is not Neil Gaiman. 
I am not interested. Yeah, you're fired. I am out. I don't care. You're absolutely fired. Yeah. Now, it can be fun to re-envision or reinvent a character to tell a different kind of story. Superman Red Sun, Cosmic Ghost Rider. They're two great examples of what a good creative team can do when there are no rules and a very clever plot. Cowboy Justice League. Exactly. (laughs) The examples are endless. Unlike those stories, Deadly Neighborhood Spidey doesn't reinvent Peter at all, but just sticks him in L.A. where he's working on some kind of vaguely science-sounding project that will, quote, cure sick cells. The lab he's in is full of speakers, so it seems is to do this. The, wait, is this the plot to Morbius? <laughs> no. The lab he's in is full of speakers, so it seems to do this with sound. And of course, the Fibonacci sequence, which also sounds science e. It's really just a sequence I mean, of numbers, it is but science-y, man. whatever. <laughs> no, the Fibonacci sequence is just a way to count. That's all it is. It's nothing. Yeah, I mean, I understand, but it is also like it's part of math and science. I get it. When the villain X fans will recognize does show up, it kind of left me scratching my head rather than scared of or impressed at how clever the comic is trying to be. I love Ferreira's art, but he's doing something different here. Almost kind of painted and very soft to give the book a dreamy feel, I guess. It looks okay yeah. at times but it doesn't work at all in some panels. It's like this comic wants to be stylish and wants to be different, but it comes off as a, what if Peter lived in LA and had some waking nightmare story? And then the demon bear showed up. (laughs) Can I hit you? Can I hit you with a harsh truth? Sure. Uh, Maybe you just don't understand the nature of dream. That could be it. I don't know. Deadly neighborhood. Spider-Man did not work for me. It wasn't terrible, but I don't know what it is trying to be. This is billed as a revolutionary dark Spidey story, but it (laughs) comes off as a weird choice of a villain for Spidey that attacks him on the West Coast instead of New York City. I I don't get it. I don't plan on reading more. And the demon bear, really, guys, I'm giving this a leave it. It, it, It's just a a poor exercise. Now, Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man, clever, very clever. And if this was a dark and revolutionary story, where Spider-Man was a bad guy that murdered people, that title might apply. It does so, not apply uh, here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, right. So, um, like, if you were if you were gonna do a horror-themed anthology series with Spider-Man as sort of a crypt keeper, or Madam Web, let's say Madam Web, right, sure. is like a crypt keeper, sure, and Spider-Man is the star of these, like, you know. Tales from the Crypt style maybe stuff. We look into the the multi the Spidey verse, the multiverse yeah, right. of Spider Man, yeah, the Spidey the Spidey verse of madness. Here are some dark uh, Spider Man. You know whatever. Like okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we and go. Like the the deadly neighborhood Spider Man. Great title. Great. Yep. Um. So as just like a bit of wordplay, I'm all about it. And kudos to whoever came up with it. Uh, please. And I'm sorry because I am a dyed in the wool black eyed peas fan. Please stop letting taboo write on my books. Stop being Just, a died in the wool black eyed peas fan. God. Why did you you focus on the wrong part of that They're sentence? Terrible. Please stop. Look, their songs are catchy. I, Someday, kidding, Joe, I will I will play you some good black eyed peas and you'll hear it and go, this is great 90s hip hop. And then you're going to go, what happened to this I mean, look, band? Man, do you think you haven't heard the black eyed peas? Look, look. No, I'm talking I'm, the old school stuff, not the famous I'm, stuff. 
before I'm kidding, Fergie, I'm kidding about before I'm Fergie joined the band. All right, I'm obviously kidding about being like a super fan, but their songs are catchy, and when they come on, I'm like, yeah, this yeah. is you know okay. a nice background, right. nice background music. Um, anyways, uh, stop letting taboo write comics. Yeah, stop it, stop it, taboo. Just cut it out. Uh, this is a tremendous waste of Juan Ferreira, who is a wonderful artist. He's an immense talent. And an immense talent, one of my favorite, like, spooky horror adjacent artists. Um, like, I remember the very first time I saw Juan Ferreira's art on a book called Colder. Um, Beautiful book. About, about a guy who, like, could not get warm and, yeah. like, stole the warmth from other people. And Is that it, like, Ed Brisson? Is that who that right, was? I don't remember who wrote it. Oh. But right out of the gate Juan Ferreira came onto the scene I was like this guy's gonna be something special and now he's drawing this shit I don't want it yeah uh it's a leave it this is a waste of time and, and like and there was so much like they're not changing anything but they're trying to convince you they're doing so oh, Paul Tobin wrote colder but like Paul Tobin yeah you've got Peter in LA like changing into a Spider-Man costume on top of a bus in traffic no one's gonna see that i mean come hey, on look, man, look i've seen like, i've seen spider-man change i've seen spider-man but just like you're also like about. you're trying to like oh this is peter parker you totally recognize him right and then peter parker's like cracking jokes like oh man oh that punch in the stomach feels like a two-day-old tuna fish sammy stomachachi and then he's like oh these dreams it's like i'm That's being pulled into a tonal pastiche of madness you know who doesn't talk like this Spider-Man. Okay. Wait, a tonal, a tonal pastiche. Yes. Like, stop it. God. Uh, again, I get I it. Taboo. Hear... You're a smart guy. I'm not taking anything away from you. I'm not saying I, you're look, dumb. I, I, I'm not I, saying you're dumb. I'm saying you're bad at writing comics. You're good at break dancing. Okay. Uh, I have Pick no, one. I have, I have no input on Taboo's intelligence one way or the other. I'm sure he's a very, um, uh, nice person. Talented uh, break dancer. I'll say that. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, he's a celebrity musician and I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt by saying I'm sure he's a nice person, but this obsession with like dime store mysticism is yeah. not something I need in most of my comics No, and, uh, definitely not my Spider-Man comic. You know what every comic book could use more of? What's that? Alan Moore's Watchmen, Joe Patrick. That's what Hell it needs. Yes. <laughs> Give it to me. Inject it straight into my veins. Matt is referring to my final review of this week. It's Flashpoint Beyond number six from DC Comics. It's three ninety nine. It's written by Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan, and Jeremy Adams. Now, Matt Bomb, while I talk, will you please look up Tim Sheridan and tell me what he does for DC? Yeah, because I know that name, too. I think it might be Titans stuff, but I'm, the name is unfamiliar. Oh, yes. He's one of the, yeah, he's the guy that's writing. He wrote all the new Titan stuff. He wrote the stuff leading up to, uh, did you, is that, did you just look that yeah, up? Yeah, or? yeah. He, he okay. wrote like the Shazam stuff with like the evil Billy and everything. Like he was part of the, the flash forward with the Titans, all that stuff. Oh, Titans, gotcha, gotcha. Titans Academy go. and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So he's one of these guys. He's one of the guys. He's good. That's I like kind him of like, Sheridan. He's kind of the, he's he's kind of he's like one of the architects of the current DCU that's not Joshua Williamson. Yeah, he is steering the Titans ship right now. Yeah, so you got Jeff Johns who's Jeff Johns, Tim Sheridan who's doing his thing with the Titans corner Jeff of the Johns, universe, who is Jeff Johns. <laughs> Everybody knows who Jeff Johns is. And Jeremy Adams who has uh breathed new life into the Flash family. Art by Hermanico 
Mikhail Janin and uh, blink and you'll miss it. Gary Frank. Here's your solicit. The fate of the Flashpoint Earth hangs in the balance as Thomas must make the ultimate choice. What will happen to this fractured reality and what does it mean for the DC universe at large? Uh, they're on a first name basis, uh, which is something I'll bring up in a second. Of course, they mean Thomas Wayne, the Batman of the Flashpoint universe. Flashpoint Beyond was more than just a return visit to the broken universe of the Thomas Wayne Batman. It was also an examination of the nature of DC's new ever-changing timeline shown through the lens of a murder mystery and a battle of wills between quote-unquote our Batman Bruce Wayne in the, you know, the DC equivalent of the 616 uh, Earth Zero, I guess. Just call it Earth One. Stop it. <laughs> Batman uh, and the Time Masters who are self-appointed arbiters of the time stream. It's hard to know who wrote what here, but John's knack for retconning retcons is on full display. The unlikely second life of the doomed Flashpoint Batman's story comes to a satisfying conclusion, and DC's new golden age begins uh, in this very comic. I love the little touches that the writers added to the dialogue, like the fact that Rip Hunter speaks to every, uh, you know, quote unquote civilian, every non time traveler he meets like they're on a first name basis as though he knows something they don't speaking from a place of arrogant privilege provided by his knowledge of their history. So like he shows up and he's like, hey, Clark and Clark can't hates it. <laughs> In the end, life wins, so to speak, and the stage is set for the grand return of the JSA next month. I'm so excited. Yes, DC's obsession with bringing Watchmen lore into the DCU is still a thing, but it was mostly an afterthought in this issue. The artistic tag team of Hermanico and Janin is tremendous throughout the series, and this issue features the best raccoon sneak attack you're likely to see in comics. The Watchmen slash Doomsday Clock epilogue is drawn by Gary Frank, so regardless of your feelings on that part of the story, at least it looks great. I wasn't really expecting much from Flashpoint Beyond, but I gave it a chance because it focused on the absolute best part of the Flashpoint shit show, uh, which is the Batman stuff. I definitely wasn't expecting it to be essential reading for fans that wanted to see DC's new multiverse take shape. Yeah. I loved I loved this series. I thought it was really good. I thought the murder mystery was compelling. Watchmen warts and all again, I I'm with everybody that's that rolls their eyes about the Watchmen stuff. It took a backseat for the most part. I'm giving this a buy it. I really liked it. I thought it was a great conclusion. This is another one that's tough for me and it's tough because you're right. The book looks amazing. The book is very well written. It, uh, there's, there's, I have no problems with that. It's like the, the overlying premise that I do not care about. And I don't. Which, which part of it? And Are I don't you even the like. Flashpoint part or the Watchmen stuff? One, revisiting Flashpoint. No reason to do it. Two, smashing Watchmen into Flashpoint. No reason to do that either, as far as I'm concerned. I'm not going to go on a whole rant of what they did, Alan Moore. Blah, blah, blah. I mean, sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that's not, you know, that's not part of that. That's the, neither like, here that's, nor there. I'm, it's I, whether or not it even belongs in the DCU to begin yes, with. Yes. And I would argue it does not. I and, would agree. And I would argue we don't need to revisit Flashpoint. And I would argue this whole exercise just seems fruitless. And I don't need this to reintroduce the JSA. 
with can that, I give with you all a, that said, hold on. With can, all that what, said, before you conclude, can I give a counterpoint to your um, your flashpoint argument? Okay. And it might not change anything you're about to say because it sounds like you haven't heard what I'm about to say. So I, yeah, I know that's what I'm, that's what I mean. I, it sounds like you were going in a way I wasn't expecting. Flashpoint is the set dressing, um, while Thomas Wayne, who knows what he knows now after being part of the Justice League incarnate, has to deal with like this world that should not exist. Sure, I'll give you all that, but regardless, I don't care. And I don't need that. And I'm not interested in it. And they could have just plucked Thomas Wayne out of this timeline and just used him. They did that with several other characters in Justice League Incarnate. And we didn't have to have a whole examination of the world that they came from. You know, just take the character, do whatever you want to do with him. I'm not interested in the Watchmen stuff. I'm not interested in the Flashpoint stuff. This felt like a long-winded exercise to me that was very beautifully drawn and very well written. But ultimately, I don't care. I don't care about any of it. And even reading this, Joe, I went and read the whole damn thing. I, I said, I'm just going to read number six and, and admit that I didn't read the rest of it. I read number six and went, ugh, and then I read all of it. <laughs> and, I, and I don't sure. care. I, I can't give it more than a skim it. Again, there is nothing. And that's fine. There's yeah, nothing like functionally wrong with the comic book. It's well drawn. It's well Your written. personal taste, of course, matters. And you're in, like, right. How, but it's, it's what not you, just my personal taste. How you feel about the subject matter. It's not just my personal taste. It feels like they're trying to make a thing out of something that not only is not a thing, but doesn't need to be a thing. There's, a, there's different ways they could have done this where it would have I've been more yeah. effective, in my opinion. I don't agree that they're trying to make it a thing. I think maybe the marketing machine was like, we're going to turn this into a seven-issue miniseries, zero through six. I don't think this got bendist, like to say that it was padded out into a, a longer miniseries or anything. I think this was Jeff John's plan all along. This was a way to give the Flashpoint Batman kind of a send-off. Do we need that? Which is something like ever since, ever since like the button, right? Where the, where it's, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which DC universe rebirth and the button, um, in Tom King's Batman, where it's like, oh no, it's the Watchmen. I just can't and, stop. Oh no, my it's eyes. a letter. It's a letter from Batman's dead dad. Yeah. And it's like, so he's been a presence for a long time now and he's been kicking around. And now that he's like. He, I, I, I personally liked that he got to go back to his broken world and kind of like make peace with it. I get it. And, I just, and, then, and then now I don't ever need to see him again. I get it. I find it impossible to care. And the last page, we're definitely going to see more of. That's Jeff Johns going, ha ha, I'm not done yet. Yo, no, that's, it's uh, definitely a cliffhanger. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't care and I don't want it. And I think that Jeff Johns could put his immense talent and these artists immense talent to better use doing something else. Skim it. Tired of talking about heavy comic books, Joe Patrick. Can we talk about Hellboy and his new girlfriend in the pages of Hellboy in love? Number one. Terrifying. From Dark Horse. It's $3.99. It is written by Mike Mignola and Christopher Golden with art by, I did not write it, it's not with art by Matt Smith. Here's your solicit. I love Matt Smith. I do too. All new Hellboy! Exclamation point! Hellboy has been assigned to patrol a train route where goblins have been stealing from passengers. Their latest victim, 
Anastasia, a researcher and archaeologist transporting valuable artifacts to a museum, and she's not going to let them go without a fight. Rather than stay behind, she teams up with Hellboy to chase a light-fingered fae through the British countryside and into a local punk show. Hellboy creator Mike Mignola is joined by co-writer Christopher Golden and artist Matt Smith featuring the colors of Chris O'Halloran for a story of occult adventure and unlikely romance. Was Dave Stewart too busy? Uh, Dave's, Dave's got all kinds of stuff going on. He doesn't do them all. I mean, come on. Whatever. Hellboy stories typically... Leave have, it! <laughs> Hellboy stories typically have a very menacing or mysterious sounding title. So when In Love follows the Hellboy colon, I tend to think, great, another attempt at Hellboy humor. I have not cared much for the young Hellboy titles. I don't need to read comedy stories starring Hellboy. But the good news is... That is not what Mignola and crew are doing here at all. To be honest, this is more action than I'm used to in a Hellboy story, but it totally works. Rather than guide us through a series of poorly lit catacombs with broken statues and piles of skulls, this story starts with a train heist in plain daylight, and Matt Smith makes it look great. Smith's art is still very much his style, but very much Mignola informed. The goblins look like small but bulky creatures. Hellboy is still his big bulky self in true Mignola vision. The action plays out really well, and there's a very Indiana Jones-type chemistry between Hellboy and Anastasia that Golden writes with just enough humor to keep it witty but not let it get too cute. Hellboy at its core, in my opinion, should be scary, but there's always a little brevity typically with him getting in over his head and knocked around by creatures great and small. This two-issue mini looks like more fun in the Mignola-verse and introduces a romantic lead that I never knew I may have wanted. I'm giving it a buy it. Yes, I, I liked this, and I, I agree with you. Like, I don't, I don't really need, you know, young Hellboy. It's, yeah. it's fun. It's it doesn't cute, do much for me. Look. What are you shocked? It's a new Hellboy comic, and we both gave it a buy. It. Right? Like, what? Like, what do you want? It's the, Hellboy is good ninety nine percent of the time, and there's nothing wrong with well, it. I ain't mad at you it. You don't have to put Hellboy in a box. You don't have to do the same thing every time. And I think they're proving yes. here, like, hey, look, we can tell a different kind of story that is bright and flashy and yeah, fun. Like, you know what? Like, I were like. I remember, um, I, I don't remember the name of it. It's got a weird title, but it's that Kevin Nolan one shot where Hellboy is like investigating cattle mutilations and it turns out to be aliens. Buster Oakley gets his wish. Buster Oakley gets his wish. There yes. Go. I was going to say it's like somebody's lament, but that's the X-Files. Yeah. That's the X-Files episode. And it's just like, yeah, oh, it's Hellboy with aliens, which is not what you would expect. But guess what? Hellboy does all kinds of weird stuff. Sure. And there's been he investigates in all kinds I mean, of weird stuff. Yeah. I, I'm I'm here for it. Like I, like you said, you can't put Hellboy in a box. This is a really charming issue. I liked it a lot. It's a buy it for me. I love Matt Smith. I think he's a great. I artist. do too. He's fantastic. Huge fan of that guy. We did it. Check out our ludicrous speed round over at TwoHeadedNerd.com for reviews of more new comics that we read every week. I actually have some for this week. I apologize. If you want to know more about the comics we just discussed, check out our show notes where you can find links with more info on our favorite cattle mutilation comics and artists that draw Hellboy Mignola good. It's not easy. It's not easy. And hit us up on our Discord to give us your thoughts, not only of the comics that we reviewed, 
here and on the site, but the comics that you read this week. We want to know your thoughts. Matt, before we move on, we need to pick one of these new comics to enter the THN Permanent Collection. What is your choice? Give it to me now. It's The Approach. No question. It's The Approach. Mm. It was. It took me by surprise. I didn't know what I was getting into. I Like I, I often say, I don't read the solicits before I do the review. I had them afterwards, so I had no clue what I was getting into. I loved it. And the art is fantastic. Give it to The Approach. You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna deviate from spooky season, and I'm gonna give it to Namor. Um, I just really love Christopher Cantwell. Yeah, and he's I, great. And, and like nothing uh, taken away, nothing from this. Uh, you know, you know, being like a what if kind of future story. Um, give me a Christopher Cantwell modern day Namor story. You know, like an incontinuity thing. Yeah, like, make me get, care about Namor because I'm not saying I don't care about Namor. I like him, but he's hard to care about. <laughs> right. Yes, I agree. Um, but yeah, I just really, really liked that Namor one shot. Uh, and also, any anytime Pascal Ferry comes back, yeah. and also, you know, New Warriors uh, connection. Oh, so. please. Hey, you've got your thing, and I got mine. Now that we've abused the power of the wizards and thrashed eight new comics within inches of their life, it's time to transform back into our human form and unwind in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our nth metal-infused Egyptian artifacts will allow us to glean the secrets of next week's comics. You gotta push them up your nose so they get far enough up there that you can, like, it's gonna hurt. I'm just gonna tell you, it's gonna hurt, but it'll work. Don't be a baby. Joe, what's your must-read pick for next Wednesday? 1026. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm. Keep pushing. I think Keep I pushing. Be a baby. <laughs> Keep pushing. There's a crunch. It hurts. And then you're fine. See? Oh, that was, it was easier once I said that. My pick for next week is AXE Judgment Day number six from Marvel. It's $5.99. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Valerio, uh, Valerio Skeety. I was not going to pick this comic. Uh, but. Then I read the following solicit, and I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm on, I, you got me. The apocalyptic finale of the event of the year. It's not that nothing will be the same again. It's that unless heroes can find a new way to be heroes, everything will be nothing forever. Oh, well, sure. That makes perfect sense. Got it. Uh, <laughs> I, I was like, what a, what huh? a perfect... <laughs> That no, that makes total perfect sense. Like and everything will be nothing. It's it, like in the context of the comic, it makes perfect sense, and right. it is the perfect Kieran Gillen turn of phrase. Oh yeah. Um, is it just me or has this event flown by? Uh, I think they they churned out a couple of issues back to back, like I two weeks in a row. I don't know if it flew by. <laughs> There's a lot of it. There's a lot. No, I haven't read well, all of it. Yes, like, there's a lot of it, I but I think like in the, terms of like the speed with which the issues have come out, it seems I, less than six months for sure. It's been a it's it's been a lot in that time. I don't think it's was six months. It was like three months. I've really loved this event, it's and I fun. know that like there's a lot of talk on Discord. Is it confusing? Is it hard to follow the reading order? I was like, you know what? I don't really think it is. I think the I think you just follow the checklist and the side books are side books and the main series is the main series yeah. and it's not really that important. Yeah. Um, the, it's not though. It really isn't. Well, it's just like, some, there was some like kind of timeline stuff, even within that, like read this. I, I think the book, I think the books that are labeled AXE 
or that are, you know, X-Men tie-ins who are the stars of the book, then yeah, read those as they are released. Sure. Sure. The main event though, by Kieran Gillen and Valerio Skeety has just been a, an unexpected delight. It's been surprising. Like, if you, if you look back, it, like if you go back and listen to us talking about this, when it was announced, like we did not care. No, it's like the Eternals. Ugh. Yeah. Because we had done that, take a look about the Eternals, yeah. and decided that we don't care about Found the Eternals. Out, like you, nobody needs to. <laughs> They're but watered this, down Inhumans. That's all they are. <laughs> yeah, but like this, this team up with the Avengers and the X Men has really been fun. It has been, and the art is great. And this is where it all comes to an end. Until the next time they fight. But anyway. Until the next time, right. Yeah. My pick for next week is Damn Them All! Number one from Boom Studios. It's $3.99. Here's your solicit. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Charlie Adler. Here is your solicit. In this new dark supernatural thriller for fans of We Have Demons and Something is Killing the Children. (laughs) Meet Ellie Bloody L. Hawthorne, a cultist for hire. Following the death of Ellie's uncle, an infamous magician and occult detective. The 72 devils of the Ars Gotia are mysteriously freed from their infernal realm. It's now up to Ellie to track down each of these exiled demons and damn them right back to hell by any means necessary. Holy water, conjuration, or just her trusty, rusty claw hammer. Legendary The Walking Dead artist Charlie Adler teams up with step-by-bloody-step scribe Simon Spurrier to introduce your favorite new occult anti-hero since John Constantine. <laughs> oh, now. I love Cy Spurrier. I love Charlie Adler. And if you read a solicit like that and doesn't do anything for you, we probably don't have a lot in common. And that's that. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it sounds sounds great. It does sound it does sound pretty great. And I'm glad to see Charlie Adler. Like, I know that I know in my head, like factually, I know that he's been out there doing some things, but like he hasn't been around. We haven't seen a lot from him. Can you tell me what those things are without looking them up? You cannot. I cannot. And uh, and I, I feel like he's just he's had a hard time escaping the orbit of the walking dead. Right. That's not helped by the fact that they are constantly reprinting it with new covers and he has to keep coming back to do new art. Probably how he's making his money. Yeah. You know, and that's great, <laughs> which is fine. Good for him. Like, and I, and I, and I think that like, it's wonderful that, that Robert Kirkman has like given Charlie Adler co-creator status because he basically defined what the walking dead is. Anyway, this sounds like fun. The THN trade of the week for October 26th goes to American Vampire 1976. It's a trade paperback from DC Comics. It's 1999. It's written by Scott Snyder with art by Raphael Albu Quirque. It's Albuquerque. Come on. We just like to have fun. Here's your solicit. Paranoia reigns supreme. It's 1976. And this is the final chapter of the Eisner Award winning American Vampire. At a seedy motorcycle rally in the desert where Skinner Sweet is closer than ever to his death wish, Pearl Jones and a shocking partner track him down for one last desperate mission as the series that launched the careers of superstars Scott Snyder and Raphael Albuquerque concludes. This collects American Vampire 1976 1 through 10. I guess I did not know that that was the end of American Vampire. That's it. This is the end. Yeah. And... This has been my favorite run of American Vampire. It kind of wandered off for a minute and got in some space stuff that I didn't care about so much. American Vampire 1976, fan friggin' tastic. 
It's I mean, so good. What Matt means is that it it took place during the space race. Yeah. <laughs> not like, well, but like they're, they're not suddenly like carrying around ray guns and stuff. No, but like they did go into outer space. <laughs> no, I understand. But it's like, it's a little, it's a little yeah. more, it's, it's still vampires. Right. In real, in it was nuanced and whatever. I just, yeah. I didn't care so much about the last chapter. I really liked this one. Beautiful. And Raphael Albuquerque, come on. Yeah. You can find links with more info on our picks in our show notes. And we always post our must read picks on our discord, our Twitters and our faces book every Wednesday. So you can make an informed buying decision at your LCS. Somebody has to tell you guys the truth and it may as well be us, right? But let us know what you thought of our picks. We don't always get it right. Other times we completely friggin' nail it. You can do that in the new comics channel of our discord. Call us out. I want to hear about it. Win, loss. Let us know. All right. I figured when you were old enough, I'd talk to you about comic books. Tell you to stay away from the garbage that pushes that junk. I'm so high. <laughs> Nothing can hurt me. No. Before we get out of here, it's time for a sneak peek of our THN Extra. When you support THN on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month, you get access to all kinds of extra content just like this. It seems like every time another super person makes a jump to the big screen, the junkies start blowing up our beepers looking for a new comic fix. This Friday, DC's Black Adam hits the big screen in theaters everywhere, but not on HBO Max, because they don't do that shit no more. Worry not, comic junkies. The comic pushers are here to set you up with some Black Adam reads to either prepare yourself or learn more after your viewing. Joe Patrick, before we get started, how about some quick background on the character of Black Adam. You got it, baby. Black Adam first appeared in The Marvel Family Number 1 in December 1945. He was created by Otto Binder and C.C. Beck as the arch nemesis of Captain Marvel and The Marvel Family. Ops. He was originally depicted as a supervillain and the ancient Egyptian predecessor of Captain Marvel who fought his way to modern times to challenge the hero and his Marvel family associates. Since the turn of the 21st century, however, Black Adam has been redefined by DC Comics writers Jerry Ordway, Jeff Johns, and David Goyer as a corrupted anti-hero attempting to clear his name and his reputation. Yeah, like the Black Adam that we know and we love, that this all kind of came out of Jeff Johns' JSA, right? Yes. So here's um, here's a quick bit of history, the fictional history of oh, the character. Thanks to Wikipedia for that little entrance. Well, yeah, obviously. <laughs> so, <laughs> they, uh, like, come on. Do you think that was off the top of my head? No. Like, this part's off the top of my head, though. Um, Black Adam historically was a char- was a man, a descendant of Teth Adam, Theo Adam, right? Uh, an archaeologist, and uh, you, like he was an archaeological partner to Billy Batson's parents, I believe. He found a, a, a scarab, a jeweled scarab uh, medallion in a, in a tomb during a dig. And upon speaking the name Shazam turned into Black Adam and he was a mustache twiddling supervillain in the classic style. Fast forward to the 90s during the power of Shazam uh, era by Jerry Ordway. Black Adam is back. And it's very much the same, like he is a supervillain. It wasn't until JSA by Jeff Johns, David Goyer, 
Leonard Kirk kind of came on a little later, so it may have been, and this was early on in the, this was early on, like black, uh, this was uh, like JSA number right. six. By the way, David S. Goyer, who we just like absolutely skewered and David, uh, David, Goyer, <laughs> David Goyer has co-written a number of my very favorite comics of all time, yeah. and I have a very hard time reconciling that. In the second arc of JSA by James Robinson, David Goyer, uh, and then Jeff Johns and the art team, Black Adam returns as part of the new Injustice Society. And what they find out is that Teth Adam, the ancient Egyptian originator of the bloodline, is not really a bad dude. Like, he's a tough dude. You right. know, he's kind of like how we know him now. And his it was his, it was the influence of his descendant, Theo, that made Black Adam a, a villain. Right. And so when he uh, was able to transform back, he transformed back into Theo Adam. And Theo Adam aged to dust because he's very old. Sure. Bad and idea. Black, <laughs> and Black Adam was free. Like uh, Teth Adam was free. He was his own man. Uh, with his own like superhero body and he became the black Adam we know in the pages of JSA. So there you have it. There you go. Excelsior. Oh. That is it for teaching 682. Next week, the cosmic log box returns to force us to review and discuss back issue comics based on a theme. I am just about to spring this one on Joe Patrick. And he's just going to have to deal with it. This one mm. is just in time for Halloween because we're going to be discussing what happens when your favorite modern movie monsters come to comics. I'm talking oh, no. Freddy, Jason, Leatherface, oh, Leprechaun. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be ugly. It's going to be bloody. And we're going to talk about it next oh, week. Oh, <laughs> man. Why do, you, why do we pick themes where we know they're all going to suck? Oh, because it's fun and the kids love it, Joe. If you want to wrap about this week's episode or comics you're reading, or any of the weekly nerd news that we are following in the Nerd News channel on our Discord, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. It happens on Saturdays at 10.30 Central Time. There will not be one this Saturday. I apologize. Stuff going on. You can always watch those broadcasts live on our Facebook page, but if you want to play along, join our Discord. Learn how to chat or talk with us live on the show, and don't forget, we set you up with something to talk about, the question of the week that's right my beautiful babies and this week's question is courtesy of brian domingos name an artist that you once liked but you just can't hang with anymore you loved them when they broke in but they changed so much that it doesn't work for you this question was inspired by our good old friend and purveyor of the eggplant head riley rossman <laughs> I still love Riley Rosmo. I just don't know if it works yes, in my bat books. I, it's, I just it's don't think puzzling, it works in my bat books. That's all. Some puzzling decisions. It's yeah. not the it's not the book, man. It's the it's the work. Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. We uh, we need them for you know free content, and you guys like it, so let's do it. If you can't make it to cover to cover live, shoot an MP3 to two at a nerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the THN hotline. That number is 402-819-4894, and you could be internet famous. We ask that you keep your recorded messages on the shorter side so that we can share the air with all of the live callers. Thank you all for your continued service. If you're new to the show and you're Riley Rosmo's mom and you are aghast at what you just heard, I assure you 
It's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news We've is- We've said very good things about him in the past. I still love him. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like longtime patron and ziggurat comptroller and the guy who came up with our question of the week. The only person who didn't love She-Hulk, ladies and gentlemen, Brian Domingo. <laughs> That's not true, and it's an unfair like, characterization. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content. We just talked about some. Or you can make a one-time donation via PayPal because maybe you understand the true meaning of dream. Before we go, our weekly shout-out and a hearty happy birthday goes to THN's official anime and manga correspondent, Jim, Jimbo Heavey. Jim helps us wrap up every episode of THN cover to cover with his anime news and manga sales report. He even has his own channel on Discord, Jim's Manga Shed. <laughs> Jim's anime manga shed. Jim celebrated his birthday yesterday. Word to you, buddy. The 22 show years be... old. Can you believe it? Wow, wow, boy. He doesn't look a day over 47. The show would never end without you. It's true. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics. Or your retailer might just swap them out with comics written by Black Eyed Peas only. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. There are more than you'd think, so that's not an idle thing. There are too many, I would argue. (laughs) Okay. Why? (laughs) What is this exercise? I don't understand it.